0: Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center.
1: We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everybody, welcome to God's Whole Story. My name is Ryan. I'm here today with Chris and Josh. Hey guys. Hey, (laughs) Uh, Josh Nieves is with us. He's never been with us before. So Josh, I'd love to hear just a little bit about uh, who you are and what you're up to. And then we'll get into Romans.
2: Hi, I'm Josh. Uh, I'm an intern here with uh, TLR. I'm also a member here at the Worship Center, a new member uh, since September. So I'm glad to be here.
1: So Josh is doing, you're doing like a, it's tier two of the internship. Yeah. Right? So TLR is our young adult ministry, the living room, TLR. Um, and you're doing like, you're on like this student ministry track of stuff. And so Josh has the wonderful experience of being like, Hey, what are we doing today? I'm like, actually, we're doing a podcast. Let's go in here right now. And that's about exactly how it went down. That I occurred. did witness that conversation. So Josh, you are a brave and courageous
0: man, but well, it's not too bad here. Yeah, It's not too bad. It's not good today. to read God's Word and talk
1: about it. Yeah, so we, uh, we're we looking at Romans today. We're basically doing uh, Romans 2 to 4, I think. Um, you know, light reading, very, uh, you know, surfacy Romans. That's a joke. Um, but as we get into this, what is sticking out to you guys?
0: Well, I think uh, just to refresh our memory from yesterday, Paul's writing to the church in Rome, super amount of division in this church between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul's main goal is bringing these opposite cultures and opposite people together. Yesterday, we saw that he started by telling the G- uh, the Gentiles they were sinners, which every Jew would agree with him on. Yep, they're horrible. But in chapter 2, he turns his attention to the Jewish people uh, and also then tells them, well, you are also under the wrath of God. Uh, and so kind of his way of bringing unity is to first have them start at the same place, uh, that they're all under sin. Uh, and it very quickly, after he points that out to the Jews, he then gives several quotations from the Old Testament and things just really painted the picture that everyone is out under the power of sin uh, so Paul's way of bringing about unity his conflict resolution method is to tell everybody they're sinner <laughs> and uh Paul but, seems like a real low key guy right <laughs> it I mean it seems like it has some effect.
1: <laughs> I just look at like just the strong like he makes some very strong statements. Uh, verse chapter two, verse four. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God has been with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your? It's like it's like a backhanded compliment, sort of like, "Wow, God is so gracious and patient, especially with you guys."
0: Uh, I always like to think of the Book of Romans as like you've got these two groups of people and they're all hearing everything. Yeah. So that whenever he's directing his attention to the Gentiles, the Jews are like, yeah, yeah. Oh man, get him, Paul. But it's like then, you know, when Paul turns to the Jews, it's like, ouch, you know? And even this phrase here was like, they would have often said like, the gospel came to the Jew first. Like we are the chosen people. And then Paul actually says, well, wrath is going to come to the Jew first and then the Gentile, which I mean, that's just, that uh, that's not your average Sunday in church. Probably
1: he's, he's a real seeker sensitive guy. <laughs> Paul, uh, Josh, what's some of the stuff that stuck out to you?
2: Yeah, going back to Romans three, uh, you know, he was talking about how no one is righteous, and like he goes on to say. Uh, no one is righteous, not even one, no one is truly wise, no one is seeking God. And, you know, he just goes off on a tangent, just being brutally honest. And I, I'm sure that people, like, read this, and pe- people are reading this and were just, like, arguing, or they they felt some type of way when they read this, like, saying, well, I'm righteous, uh, well, I'm wise. And, like, what are they really basing that off? Are they basing it off just, like, uh, their experiences? Are they basing it off just uh just things that they learned throughout life but like paul is just like he's just kind of dry he's just saying uh, no one is righteous not you not you not me not you no one is wise not you not you not you you, not you not you and i'm just i'm trying to gain a perspective of like the people or just like imagining what how the people really felt because i'm sure people like read that and just like felt some type of way or just like Mm. cut out once they started reading reading that you know
0: which, yeah, I mean, he's definitely kind of leveling the playing field. Yeah. But then the cool thing is, right following that, he he does talk about how to become righteous. You know, and it's not your works, it's not keeping the law, it's not uh, staying away from certain kinds of sin, it, it's by faith. Absolutely. And that's where this book pivots then to, okay, if everybody's a sinner, the next part of his unifying argument is going to be, we're all saved the same way. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, it's, it's by faith, and... There's this beautiful passage in chapter, starting in chapter 321. Uh, Josh, you were pointing out how yeah. there's so many times that faith is repeated. And it's just like it, that turn of, oh, well, here's how
1: you are righteous. Uh, it's a beautiful twist there. It's funny if you think about it in terms of unity, which is what you've set up already, is that just to cut everybody's legs out from under them, be like, yep, you're all sinners. <laughs> It's like it probably lets the air out of the room. But then it's like, hey, you know what? Let's elevate Jesus mm. and the way that our faith in Christ, our faith in God's provision um, has a way of uniting all of us. It's it's, it's sort of like, man, you know, <laughs> this is kind of goofy, but like, you know how like you, you go to boot camp, like you join the military, you go to boot camp. They break down who you are so that they can build you mm. up as part of the community. It's like Paul kind of has this similar mindset of like, hey, let's just break everybody back down to the like the mere basics and then let's build up your faith together so that you have like this new identity of like part of the church, not not in these weird. Even if we
0: look at that through a discipleship lens or a a growth it that I mean, there is that is how discipleship works. Like we have to admit there's a problem. We have to admit there's a need. We have to admit we're broken before we can actually get help. Yeah. And like Paul I I mean, just Romans is brilliant in he, how he's establishing the baseline that's, you know, yeah, we're all broken, but then let's replace that with the truth. Let's replace yeah. that with what Jesus is that he says, you're justified, you're, you're redeemed, you're righteous, you're all these things. Uh, and he's going to then build them back up that, hey, you might all be broken, but now you're all having the same identity through Christ. And so that's another band that they can rally around for equality.
1: What a timeless truth, actually. Like, just as you're talking, I'm like, man, think of all the different ways, even in the faith community right now, that we elevate ourselves over each other. What a great time for us to have our legs cut out from under us and be like, (laughs) you know what? You're actually all sinners. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's how we find community, to just be like, you know what? I fall short of the glory of God, and I need the, the grace and forgiveness of Jesus to be restored to God. And... I'm like that, and you're like that, and you're like that, and that's why the church is the church. Um, Man, unifying to the Romans maybe unifying to all of us as well.
0: Yeah, and then chapter four, I think he puts such a, like, he gives them an actual example of this in action. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for the Jews, if you're going to convince the Jews of this, Abraham's the guy you got to use, so he's going to do that. Um, But then, even just the fact that, you know, he goes through methodically and saying, look, we know that Abraham's such an awesome guy, but was it was it because he was obedient? Was it because he, he got his son circumcised? Like, no, it was actually by faith. This happened first. And then he actually, I think, goes on and proves it uh, because he starts uh, reminding them of Abraham's life. And he actually even pulls out a reference of when he says, you know, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he was about 100 years old, when he considered his body which was as good as dead. If you do a quick trip back to Genesis... Abraham actually fell on his face and laughed at that moment in time. So it's like, how can, Paul's kind of seen a different picture here, but I think the point that he's making here, Genesis is about history, Genesis is the facts, but the point he's making here is just how real faith is and what it accomplishes, that yeah, Abraham fell on his face and laughed, which probably broke a couple of the commandments, but because of this faith that he had, it's almost as if that never happened through the eyes of righteousness. And it's just for whether it's for the Jew or the Gentile, like this new identity they have is so real uh, that it completely—they're a new creation. There, it's not the old that's there anymore. Uh, and just what a great example of it using Abraham.
1: So speaking of going backwards to make a case forwards, um, Paul's expert at that, especially when he's talking to a Jewish audience. Um, but I was looking at um, it's Romans two. 28, um, to the end of the chapter, I guess, um, for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through a ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. A true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the spirit and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Um, sometimes you can look at this circumcision of the heart idea and assume it's like a Pauline doctrine. Like it's very cool how Paul just like turned this all on its head and said like, "Hey, circumcision is of the heart." It's a Jeremiah doctrine. <laughs> it's actually throughout. I mean, yeah. it's, it's in Deuteronomy 30 yep. as well um, that circumcision is of the heart. And it's, I think actually if we, if we look at this and we see it as like a New Testament idea or a Paul idea, we actually lose the rich history that is all throughout the story of the Bible, that God actually doesn't care about your outward signs of obedience. He wants inward signs of obedience.
0: And even look at the nation of Israel. It was never just because, just because you were born with the right passport, you were golden. Like there was always the faithful and always the unfaithful. And all throughout the pages of scripture, there was this remnant, the few that were faithful, and we're just really seeing the same thing here. Yeah. Uh, that Paul's saying, "Hey, if if you're Jewish and you have faith, well, then good. But yeah. if you're a Gentile and you have that same faith, equally good.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, I love that. I love the, the like the all saving nature of Jesus. That it like transcends culture. Um, requires faith. Definitely requires faith, but it transcends everything else. Uh, guys." I hope you're enjoying Romans. I think we're enjoying Romans. So we'll see you again tomorrow. Bye.
0: Romans chapter 2. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the very same things. And we know that God, in his justice, will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourselves. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And, when the, and the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it without even having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them what they are doing right, that they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret sin. You who call yourself Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants? You know what is right because you have been taught the law? You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourselves? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, you do, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you, Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit, and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people." Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. True, some of them were unfaithful. But just because they were unfaithful does not mean God will be unfaithful. Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say. You will win your case in court. But some might say our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for Him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would He be qualified to judge the world? But if someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights His truthfulness and brings Him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say that more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such. Things deserve to be condemned. Well, then, we should conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was a given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, it is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly nullify the law. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us, Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. David also spoke about this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised, or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith, and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous, even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith, but but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they had the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment to those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law would have had no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though, he, even though at a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do what he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God.
1: Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's Whole Story. Uh, It means a lot to us, even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, If you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, We would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, you can either send us a DM or you could actually email us at podcast@worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.